everybody. This is episode 59 of Fried Squirms, and I'm Tyler. And I'm Danny. And I'm going to stop doing that right now, because now I'm starting to creep myself out. <laughs> it's fun to creep ourselves out. As long as we're not scared stupid. Correct. Here's episode 59, and we're going to cover Ernest Scared Stupid this week for our movie. But first, just a couple other tiny things. It's not necessarily a horror movie, but we said last episode that as soon as we were getting done, we were going to go watch The Shape of Water. Water. Which is kind of horror adjacent, considering it was partially inspired by Creature from the Black Lagoon, which we've covered recently. Yes, we have. And, I mean, it's Guillermo del Toro, who, amongst being a master of other things, has also given us a few horror movies in his career. One that we've covered. Yeah, I was excited about the fact that, you know, we got to not only see Shape of Water being a del Toro, but we've also covered Kronos. So, yeah. And I thought it was fantastic. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, goddamn. It was absolutely beautiful movie. Like, every frame could have been a fucking painting. Yeah, strong cast. The cinematography was beautiful. Music was well done. Just Oh, shit. Well, we, awesome. just, we just covered Bone Tomahawk. What's his name? Oh, Richard Jenkins? Is Richard Jenkins, about? who we were eh, with in Bone Tomahawk, was fantastic as Giles. There was a good reason he's being nominated for Best Supporting Actor at this year's Academy Awards. Michael Shannon was oh, man. absolutely Supreme. amazing as the monster, and Doug Jones was great as the actual creature. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so for all those involved in this project... It's kind of a monster story. It is. It is. Kind of. It's definitely a creature story, but it's not a horror movie. Yeah. By we don't, any We means. probably don't want to divulge too much, but I would highly suggest people go see it while it's still in theaters. Definitely just a beautiful romantic fairy tale. I had a scene that should have been one of the most silly moments I've ever seen in a <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah, we talked about that after. Like, in the context oh, of the movie, so it's so fucking moving. It is. But it should have, like, oh my well, god. It could have been any other movie, and I think... You would have just been, like, laughing yeah. and, like, squirming from the awkwardness like, of, like, are they really doing this? This is so, right. uh, what? But go check it out. That way you'll know exactly what scene we're referring to. And, I mean, there's going to be no mistaking it. Like, sure. It's okay that we're so. being this vague, because when you watch the movie, you're going to be like, oh. oh, yeah, that should have been silly. Yeah, that was my thoughts and my sentiments for that particular scene, but giving the context of the scene, it's, it's like, damn, Del Toro, you almost had me, bro. You almost got me in the feels. Now, to continue on talking about Doug Jones, this isn't like any huge news, but it is something that I noticed just because when we were talking about Doug Jones before we went to The Shape of Water and just like looking up his filmography and stuff, we realized, oh, he was in Hocus Pocus. He sure was. Well, then like two days after we found out that he was in Hocus Pocus and we're just dummies, he said that he would like to be involved in Hocus Pocus too if it ever comes to fruition. And there's always rumor, especially for the past few years, there's there been, been ongoing rumors of them doing a Hocus Pocus too. He would like to be back as Billy Butcherson. That would be awesome. I'm all for it. If that's what they plan to do. I mean, we talked about it on a different episode. I'm not the biggest fan of Hocus Pocus. I do like the movie. I would like an excuse to, you know, rewatch it again. Yeah, why like not? Like, if they're going to do a second one, I would definitely sit down and rewatch the first to sort of. Yeah, I've seen know, the first prepared. enough to know, but I'd still be interested in the second just for shits and giggles. Let's see. Another small piece of news, just because we both loved the first one. The It sequel, It Chapter 2, as it's currently looking like it's being called, okay. is going to start filming this summer. Oh, yes. Excited. And I do believe it already has a release date. 
Is it set for next year? Yeah, September 6th next year. Well, I know what I'm doing on that day. Yeah, no doubt. We're definitely going to be down there again. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, before we go down there again, we'll finally get around to covering the last half of the original yeah, miniseries. I'm kind of excited about that, even though, you know, I'm going to reserve some of my opinions, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with the second chapter of this new, you know, remake of it. So, yeah, it'll be fun. And then just one little thing that I thought was really kind of neat, kind of funny. <laughs> Kane Hodder, little did anybody know, had a small cameo in Freddy vs. Jason. Huh. Now, there's a big thing where Kane Hodder doesn't really like that movie because they didn't ask him to come be Jason Jason yeah. in it when he personally had helped campaign for years wow. to try to get it made like he loved the idea and all this and you know they would repeatedly tell people you know he's not even a cameo in this movie he's not in it at all turns out he is very very briefly in it on one of the tvs in the movie the tv is playing texas chainsaw massacre 3 okay the scene that it's playing is one where hotter was filling in as leatherface <laughs> jesus technicalities right he was the stunt double for the guy that actually played Leatherface in that movie. That's funny. I mean, technically, yeah, he makes a cameo, but not through his own accord. And so he's accomplished something nobody else has. He's technically played Jason, Leatherface, and Freddy. That's pretty awesome. Huh. I know he's played some other big baddies, but down the road, I would imagine we'd probably cover some of those, and we'll get more in-depth with that. But that's really cool. I mean, even though it is a technicality, technically he is in the film and makes a cameo. Yeah, kind of like awesome. I think that's hilarious. That's that, almost that he, they still found a way to sort of sneak him in. I was thinking that was kind of like how when we reviewed Halloween three season of the witch, where the only time you ever saw Michael Myers was on television advertisements for the fucking movie itself. So technically, yeah, Michael Myers was in it, but not really. Not really. <laughs> yeah. But that's all I had. We can sort of get into talking about Ernest. I think. Yeah. No, it's have... a, the only thing I've really been up to. I mean, aside from. You know, us watching The Shape of Water. I've kind of gone back into collection mode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and gotten a few goodies, so I'll be posting those up sometime soon. (laughs) Including a three-pack of artist movies to get ready for I brought this over so people can hear that I've got the physical copy of the triple feature. (laughs) Because, I mean, I'm a big fan of... uh, Ernest Goes to Camp. Ernest Scared Stupid. And Ernest Goes to Jail. Which, arguably, are some of the best ones. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's get to the guts and bolts. Let's talk about some Ernest Scared Stupid. I'm ready. Guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Number uh, 59. That's right. Let's talk about who went into the making of this movie. <laughs> oh, man. This is funny. Do you want to give a brief synopsis first? Yeah, okay. Brief synopsis of Ernest Scared Stupid. First off, we should probably point out that we've been kind of going a little bit intense lately. We have been. And this is definitely a horror comedy. This is definitely sort of on the lower end, too. Yeah, it is. I agree with that. We might both enjoy this movie, but... (laughs) We're adults now. (laughs) It's different. This is another entry into the Fright Squirms where it's not a rated R film as well. This is a PG film. So that's kind of unique. This is like the second film we've done that's not a big, bad, nasty, you know what I mean, as far as the ratings go. It did come out in 1991 as well, so keep that in mind when we're talking about this film. So let's see. Ernest Scared Stupid. The dumbest man in town accidentally unleashes trolls. Yeah, I think that's a good brief synopsis, like we said. The uh, village man-child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The uh, village idiot. Now, that might be selling it a little bit short, though. 
I think a good, I think part of what needs to be brought up in this guts and bolts is the fact that, I mean, this is part of a franchise that was really, I mean, truly in the zeitgeist in a way, I guess. Like, people knew who the fuck Ernest was. Oh, yeah. For good reasons. In that day and age. Like, this wasn't just like, oh, cool, some motherfucker named Ernest, whatever. Yeah, just some schlock or whatever. You knew who Ernest was. You know who Ernest was when you go into this. Unless, I mean, you've never heard of these, like... I mean, I could see us bringing up Ernest to these young kids that we work with, and they probably have no idea who we're talking about. Yeah, I would imagine there's a few that don't. But if you're from our generation, then you would know exactly who this guy is. And Ernest, we're talking about Jim Varney, who is the biggest draw in terms of the cast, for sure. Yeah, Jim Varney as Ernest P. Worrell. We'll talk a little bit more about Jim in a second, but Ernest as the character originated from commercials. Yeah, the first one actually was an advertisement for a theme park in Kentucky near Bowling Green. Actually got it written down. The name of the place is the Beach Bend Park. It was located right outside of Bowling Green, Kentucky. The reason why, I guess it got some of the traction too, because it was an advertisement that involved the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders at the time. And it was like the first introduction of the Ernest character. Right outside of that particular advertisement, it got franchised, his character, and then he started showing up in a lot of dairy commercials, places kind of around the southeast to begin with. I believe they did some stuff in Nashville, there was some stuff in Raleigh, North Carolina, and there was some stuff up in Maine. So I don't want to give too much away. Keep in mind that Derry's uh, kind of a big staple in some of the stuff that he does. Right. And it's really weird because this would be like fucking, well, okay, so before we found out that he was a massive perv, like, (laughs) you had, like, Jared from Subway. Yeah. Or you had, like, the fucking Where Are You Now? Or Can You Hear Me Now? Can You Hear Me Now? That guy. Or the Dell Kid. You're going to jail. We all know all of those kids. Yeah. And those all came up in a time where there was already a couple hundred TV channels. And just through those commercials, oh, yeah. they seeped. They were still able to seep into the pop culture consciousness. They sure did. Now, Ernest was back when there was far fewer channels. Yeah. Everyone was watching the same things. And although he started out regionally... Oh, he got national syndication. Yeah, he eventually... I mean, there was a TV show for a bit... Yeah, it lasted this, a year. The character was huge. Oh, all throughout the 80s. He was just about, like you said, every commercial that you saw as, as far as products ad, uh, placement, car commercials, like I said, dairy products, I think stuff for even like shopping marts, stuff like that. So, yeah, he was kind of all over the conscious in the country at that time period. And there's this weird thing that happens with TV where they're in your home with you. Yeah. You know You're what I mean? Like movies them. and stuff, movie characters we all love and stuff, but... You sort of plan things out, and you go out to meet them. This was just somebody that ended up being in your home with you from week to week. Mm-hmm. We all felt like we knew Ernest. We were all Vern. Yeah, we were the Vern. You know what I mean? <laughs> but now looking back on it, it's kind of weird. Man, we're laughing really hard at this. Oh, yeah, man. You redneck know, man-child. <laughs> once we get into some of his credits, there's one in particular, dude. Like I was obsessed with that particular film as a kid. So yeah, just going off the character itself, knowing that it sponges from commercials, then eventually a television series, which is kind of funny because he got a Razzie nomination for, I think his role, it might have been in like, oh shit, I'm trying to think what it was. It was in some particular movie. The following year, he got a freaking Daytime Emmy Award. So he went from getting nominated for a Razzie to getting a Daytime Emmy. So go figure. Well, that's the thing. Jim Varney, maybe most widely known, strangely, whether they realized he was doing the voice or not. Good point. Slinky Dog. Toy Story. Toy Story. Yeah. 
everyone knows Toy Story. Everyone loves Toy Story. That's such even a if huge Ernest wasn't your thing. Franchise, yeah, exactly. Even if you don't know the face, you've heard the voice. Fucking, I love his role as Jed Clampett. <sighs> Beverly Hillbillies. Beverly yeah, dude. I know we've talked about that particular film off of our recording, but yeah, dude. Some really good stuff. All right, I want to get back to Jim Varney here in just a minute because we've got some behind-the-scenes people we need to talk about first. Okay. So, with that being said, the creator of the actual character was John Cherry. So, he's known for, of course, producing and directing most, if not all, of the Ernest P. World TV commercials and the films. He's also done uh, some directing work on the film Pirates of the Plain, the all-new adventures of Laurel and Hardy in For Love or Mummy. So those are some of his credits. He also helped write this film with his partner, Coke Sams. I was like, oh, what a fucking name is that, right? You got a cherry and a Coke. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, so Coke Sams helped write such films as Existo, Lunker Lake. One film, I don't know how many times I'm going to mention, I'm just going to start calling it Dr. Otto, but it's Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloombeam. And the screenplay was also written by Charles Gill, along with Coke Sams. Charles Gill worked on films such as Making the Grade, Guilty as Charged, Tattletale, Captain Nuke, and The Bomber Boys. Our cinematographer, I was mentioning this to you here, and it's kind of a unique name, Hananya Bear. It's a gentleman. I had to look it up. You know, I, I mentioned this several times throughout this particular section, is that I like to go back and look at some old film credits, because they don't always get mentioned Mm -hmm. when you look at credits. So the first one I've got for our cinematographer is a film called Dracula Sucks from 1978. Oh, wow. Now, I must admit, that is an adult film. (laughs) (laughs) So it was kind of a satirical porn from the late 70s, which is funny because then he started doing work for ABC and CBS with their after-school program specials, he was also the cinematographer on the films Breaking and Breaking 2, Electric, Electric Boogaloo, Boogaloo, you know it. By Canon Films. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Ninja Part 3, American oh, Ninja with David Dudikoff. I'm I think those are, of those. I think those are all Canon films. I think he was working with Canon. Oh, it, it wouldn't surprise while. me, because listen to some of these other ones. He was also the DP for Masters of the Universe. The Dolph Lundgren. That's canon films. And Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. I don't know about that, but I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, so those are some of the film credits I had written down for Mr. Bear. Our editor is Craig Bassett. Now, he was the AD on Raging Bull, The Goonies, The Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, which I thought was kind of neat. And he was the sole editor on a Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez film called Men at Work. I actually own that film, man. I like that film a lot. <laughs> Emilio! Yeah, dude. The War at Home, which is another Emilio Estevez film with his father. Emilio! Emilio! With his father, Martin Sheen, which is actually a really good drama. If you're not a fan of, like, PTSD kind of war films, I'd say stay away from that film. It hits home with that. And he's also the editor on a film that you might be familiar with, Tyler. A film called Johnny Tsunami. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, Disney Channel original movie. Johnny Goddamn Tsunami. Right. Wasn't one of the actors in John Carpenter's Vampires? Yes. in that film, the yep. Asian, the He's token Johnny Tsunami. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> All right. So moving on, uh, we have two people responsible for the music on this film, and that's Bruce Arntzen. He's done work on the films Existo and Ernest Goes to Jail, and his partner Kirby Shellstead, who's worked on Ernest Goes to Jail, Ernest Rides Again, Ernest Goes to School. So they're pretty much known for their work on some of these Ernest films. Our special effects team, which is a huge name because we've actually covered them before, are the Chioto Brothers Production Company. Bam! Yeah, yeah. And Bart Mixon was the Troll Effect shop supervisor. This film was produced by Stacey Williams, Martin Ehrlichman was the executive producer, and Cook Sams was a producer. Production companies are Touchstone Pictures, Touchwood Pacific Partners yeah, Number One. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm talking about. And M Shell Producers Group. Our distributors are Buena Vista Pictures. They were responsible for the 1991 USA theatrical release. ABC, or the American Broadcasting Company, they were responsible for the 1994 USA TV broadcast premiere of Ernest Scared Stupid. This film had a box office opening weekend of $4.5 million back on October 14th of 1991. And it grossed right at $14.1 million, which is actually a modest gross for this film. Now, which is kind of funny in a way because it was considered a moderate return. They didn't get any other theatrical releases. I think most of all his films went straight to video at that time. No. With the exception it, of one, I think. Not just that. None of the ones past this were even produced by a major studio. Exactly. Uh, this one was produced by the Disney imprint Touchstone. Yeah, oh yeah. Big name on this. Walt Disney... Which I think a lot of people, I mean, I, I always remember seeing the Touchstone logo growing up and stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't remember, I know how many people realize Touchstone's owned by Disney. If you go back to the original VHS release of Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah. Disney was actually worried that it might be too dark of a holiday movie, <laughs> so they didn't put it out under the Disney label, they put it out under Touchstone, Touchstone yeah. and it was only after it became such an underground like, hit. No, 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 that's, that's like, us. oh, wait, 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 no, that's Disney, that's Disney. <laughs> that's totally us. <laughs> we just put our little sister company out there for it, but yeah, that's it and puts so the feels out. past this, they were all independently produced. Exactly. Uh, I can't remember which one, but one of the ones past this was still distributed by Touchstone. Yeah, and I want to. I'm almost leaning towards the Ernest Rides Again film because I know that was like a major flop. But regardless, the series did go on, is what we're getting at. Although uh, this was also kind of the one that killed it. Yeah, so it was it, in it's a way. Kind of, like it, it started dying a slow death after this one. It did. It did. It kind I don't of know if it's this one's fault, but... I don't agree with that. Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, I don't agree that this was the film that was the death knell. I think there's some others along the way that right, done right. it. It's just after... This was yeah. the end of what could be considered, like, the good peak. earnest. Yeah. yeah. I totally agree with that. Our release date was October 11th, 1991. So this was a month before I turned 10. So at the time, I have to admit, like, this one doesn't really scare me. I mean, I'd seen it, but... By that time, I'd already been exposed to some, you know, some other shit. <laughs> and you know what? That sort of makes sense too for being the end of the good Ernest era. Because if you think about it, ninety-one, this character has been around for eleven years. Yeah, good point. I Very mean, there's point. only so much you can, especially with a character who's just a dumbass. Yeah, <laughs> it's he's one of those uh, lovable characters, but he's also one of those characters that could probably rub people the wrong way. You know what I mean? Know what I mean, Tyler? <laughs> All right, so those are our people behind the film. So now we can get back into the cast. And we've already mentioned Jim Varney, who plays Ernest P. Whirl. He also plays multiple characters in this film, because that's what he's known for. 
Well, yeah, he's known for basically doing the entire Worrell family whenever yeah, they show exactly. up. So Ernest seems to have multiple personalities. I did write down in my notes that he has MPD, multiple personality <laughs> disorder. He gets called out on it, too. So he does all the different personalities yes. as well. And his ancestor, Phineas, Phineas. Worrell. Exactly. Don't think, though, that Ernest P. Worrell, that the P might stand for Phineas. That's Ernest Power Tools Worrell. Power Tools. Home improvement. <laughs> yeah he was a handyman we'll find out here in the movie why along with some of his credits i did want to mention a few others he started off doing some tv work well actually i'll go back further than that he actually started off doing a lot of stage work and he was working in nightclubs like when he was around 17 and because he was getting like really noteworthy performances on stage you know later on he moved into those tv slots we talked about got his own show and then he started getting into the films. And the first one, that the one I was talking about, I was obsessed with as a kid, was Ernest Goes to Camp. Now, I had seen that film probably when I was like four, five, six, somewhere around there. So that's when I started getting familiar with Ernest. And then films like Ernest Saves Christmas came out, and then Ernest Goes to Jail. So I'd already Ernest been like... Ernest Goes to Jail was probably yeah. my favorite. Oh, it's funny. It's so good. <laughs> but I was already three movies deep in with him starting at an early age, too. So by the time this particular film came out, I was kind of like, uh, you know, I might have been already kind of getting over it without sounding too harsh. But we talked about his role as Jet Clampett in Beverly Hillbillies. Dude, I love that film. <laughs> so good. He was also in a Dennis Quaid film called Wilder Napalm. I read that one of his last projects that he worked on was actually a Billy Bob Thornton film. And then he wanted to write a screenplay for the Colt and McCoy families because he said that his granddaddy used to shoot squirrels, I think, with the McCoy family, which is why I was like, damn, that's pretty cool. So, I mean, he did a lot of projects, I mean, outside of just his earnest roles. He did another, I think, a movie or maybe a sh- like a small independent feature where he played like an incestuous father. Oh, yeah. What was that movie? 100 Proof. Yeah. So he's been in some interesting projects. Now, he's also known for doing some Shakespearean plays. He actually memorized long poems as a kid. I mean, he exhibited traits of like mimicking and, you know, developing different characters for his family at a young age. And that's why his mother moved him into doing like stage productions when he was like eight. And he was winning state titles and the rest is history. And his final role was him double dipping into that Disney pool. Oh, yes, he was. I mean... Well, I've got a couple of Toy Story. He did Atlantis, The Lost Empire. I guess at the time, Toy Story was just Pixar before it was bought by Disney, right? uh, So maybe it wasn't so much double dipping. Because his very last role was in the Atlantis Disney movie, whatever it was called. Yeah, I think it was The Lost Empire. Oh, yeah, Atlantis or Lost Empire. You know, the one that everyone forgets. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What I thought was kind of interesting, too, he's... He made a couple of appearances on the show Roseanne as well. I think he had two episodes where he was playing Jackie's fiance or boyfriend or some shit like that towards the end of that show. He was also on the Duckman television show, which we mentioned a bunch in one of our episodes, but he lent a voice to one of the characters on that show as well. And and how we haven't mentioned Three this, Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain. Here's another one, too. Know. How about The Simpsons, where he voiced a carny in one of the... Uh, episodes in the oh, 2000s. Yeah, Cooter. Yeah, Cooter, the carny. So he's done some voice acting. So like we said, if you maybe are not familiar with the face, you might have heard the voice. Unfortunately, he passed from lung cancer yeah. pretty famously. And it's sad too because it was found late. I think he was working on a project. He started developing a cough. 
He thought, you know, it was just a cold of some sort until he started coughing up blood. He finished the project. I think he got it, you know, a checkup, found out he had lung cancer, started going through chemo, and it wasn't too long after that that was the end of him, unfortunately. Yeah. So long, Jim Varney. Yeah, it's actually kind of sad because it he was a, a pretty big like part of my childhood. Really, yeah, like, that's I've Ernest known. was a one of those movies yeah. that you would put on for kids. Any exactly. One of them. Now I don't know who else you might have down as cast because as I'm looking at it, there's only like two people else worth mentioning for me. Oh well, yeah, I mean I've got a couple people written down. The biggest draw outside of Jim Varney <laughs> was actually a little lady from my home state, Eartha Kitt. Yes, sir. She plays Frances, old lady Hackmore, in this film. Now, Eartha Kitt is a very unique person. Unfortunately, she has passed as well. But she, for the longest time, didn't know her official birth date until a group of people down in South Carolina actually looked up official records and found out she was born, I want to say like in 27 or some shit like that, 1927? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But she was born in a place called North South Carolina. Oh, Jesus I did not stutter. (laughs) I was like, where the fuck is North, North South Carolina? I've never South heard of that. I looked it up. It's down in Orangeburg, which is in the middle part of the state. And that part of the state is... So it's not even in the northern part of the state? No, it's not even in the... In the what I would consider the upstate and parts of the low country are the more sophisticated of the South Carolina. The Midlands are kind of like... They're still kind of stuck in this... I don't know, man. They're like two or three decades behind. But anyhow, she grew up there... She went on to do a lot of singing, a lot of acting, like for stage and things like that. She was a backup singer for a long time, but Orson Welles actually gave her one of her first breaks. Let's see, for me, she'll always be the third Catwoman. Oh, yeah. On the 1966 series. Yeah, she'd be... Uh, following Julie Newmar and Lee Merriweather. There were some hot babes back then. They were playing some uh, Catwomans, but she filled the role from 1967 through 1968. Now, here's a film, Tyler that I don't want to talk too much about because I own the film. and I'm like, uh, Let me see if I can guess. Okay. How about... Ooh. Uh, Boomerang. Nope. You, you'll never guess this film. It's one of those films I have. Like I said, I have. A lot of people don't know about it for good reason. Uh, but it's holes. A, nope. <laughs> digging up the that's holes. A good, that's a good guess. By the way, these are all Eartha Kitt movies. They are. We're still talking about Eartha Kitt. It's a film called... Living Doll came out in, I think, the same time, like 1990, 1991. Now, that film, she plays the landlady of a tenant who's up to no good. That's about as far as I'll go with that film. Now, are you sure you're not meaning to say Harriet the Spy? Well, I do have that written down. I do have that written down because of uh, Michelle Trachtenberg, for obvious reasons. Uh, She was also, I think, a judge in Fatal Instinct. She lent some voice work in... No big deal projects like The Jungle Book. Oh, well, Story. okay, that one is kind of a no big deal. Because <laughs> did you see which Jungle Book it was? I did. That's why I said no big deal. But she also did stuff like The Emperor's New Groove. You didn't mention Holes. Uh, okay, yeah. So Emperor's New Groove is an utterly fantastic, uh, yeah, dude. fantastic animated comedy. And Eartha Kid is Yzma. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She also did some stuff like My Life she as a looks Teenage kind of like Yzma. She is an interesting, I don't want to tell Rue when I say this, but she's an interesting looking person too, where she could fill a lot of different roles and she does a great job and just about everything she does has a very unique voice as well. So with that, she was also in an episode of The Simpsons as well. I think it came out like 2010, somewhere around there. 
But uh, yeah, for the longest time, like I said, she did a lot of singing and a lot of uh, stage work and stuff like that. And then she kind of got her feet back into acting a little bit later on in her career. But yeah, unfortunately, she did pass as well. And I mean, we're just scratching the surface. She actually has a rather remarkable career oh across gosh. music and acting. I mean, she was blacklisted for a while after making anti-Vietnam statements yeah. and all sorts of stuff. Um, absolutely worth looking up and checking out her biography because like she a is remarkable a woman. fascinating woman. Yeah, remarkable story. I'm proud of the fact that she's from my home state. I mean, <laughs> there's much connection outside of that, but... You know, get to talk about her a little bit today. So right. I have one other cast member written down. Okay. I have a feeling you probably have at least. Oh, I've got them all. The kids I've got and stuff. everybody written down. But there was one other person that I wanted to bring up because okay. they had credits that jumped out to me. Yeah. Everyone yeah. else, I saw their credits. I wasn't too impressed. No offense, everybody. Likewise. It's just that I wasn't expecting. It's an earnest movie. I wasn't expecting to know anybody in this. That's kind of how I felt about it as well. And that's. I mean, it's not like I've ever done anything. You guys don't know me either, so. Well, we are starting to kind of get some buzz on the YouTubes. However, I had to write down that the voice of Trantor. Yeah. The troll. By the way, we mentioned there's a troll, right? Yep. Troll. Yeah, this is a troll movie. It's a man by the name of Ernie Fossilius. Mm-hmm. I got it written down as well. There's Ernie, a huge credit. Ernie Fossilius has a couple really weird, really, really fucking cool credits. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Where did that go? I want to make sure I got this right. Well, in episode two, Attack of the Clones for Star Wars, he was the voice of Poggle the Lesser. Nobody cares, right? Yeah. Poggle the Lesser. However, he's... Actually, that's pretty dope. I can't... That is a unique looking character. The Geonosians. I got something else to mention about Star Wars. He was credited with co-writing the song Lapty Neck that appears in Return of the Jedi as being performed by the Max Rebo Band, because he's also a founding member mm-hmm. of the Mystical Knights of Oingo Boingo. Nice, dude. Danny Elfman? Later, yep. Alongside Danny Elfman, who later he would leave the group, and like the group would eventually just become the Mystical Knights for a while, be awesome. before settling on simply Oingo Boingo. Oh, I'm very familiar with Oingo Boingo. But I thought the coolest credit, when I looked at his credits, he does the Ack Axe. Ack, 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 ack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in Mars Attacks. That's pretty cool. You want to hear something? <laughs> I've got a couple of things written down about him. I'm glad you brought him up. He was uncredited as the voice of Giran, the Rancor Keeper, in Star Wars Return of the Jedi as well. He lent his voice to a video game called The Legend of Dragoon. He also did oh, some no work. Oh, no shit. Yeah. I fucking love Legend of Dragoon. You probably heard his voice. Now, he also did some stuff behind the film, in Spaceballs, he was a part of the sound department, and he was also a part of the visual effects team on RoboCop Part 2. I was like, damn, big, my man's doing some work outside of just acting and lending a voice. So yeah, I've got some really cool stuff, too, to mention about some other people. One in particular, I'll jump right to him because it's an unlikely person to get some of these credits, but Larry Black plays Mayor Murdoch in this film, and he's also the camp counselor owner in Ernest Goes to Camp. Okay. He starred in the 1992 television series Swamp Thing. Oh, no shit. He was in The Heat of the Night. He was on Chill Factor. And he was also in a Jake Gyllenhaal in Laura Dern film called October Sky, which I really dig that film. It's about a group of high school teenage kids, basically, who 
shot a small rocket. I think it was in West Virginia. And this particular person went on to become a rocket scientist that Jake Gyllenhaal portrayed in the film. But Larry Black is in the film. Bond mentioned a lot of these people in this film have worked on a lot of John Cherry and a lot of these Ernest films. So I'll just mention their character because, mm-hmm. like I said, pretty much if you've seen an Ernest film... You've seen all of them. You've seen all these people probably Just in before, different roles. Right. So I'll move on from, like I said, Mayor It's Mirage. like watching an early Kevin Smith movie. Here's something that you've was You've seen cool. all of these people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Roles. They're all in the Ernest universe, <laughs> these people. I'm going to move on to some of these kids. Austin Nagler plays Kenny Binder. He's one of our main kid protagonists in this film. He was also on the television show Evening Shade, and he was a director, if you know this band called Rilo Kylie. He was a director for their video Emotional, so you might have seen his work on that video. Shay Astar, she plays Elizabeth. She's one of the uh, kid female protagonists in this film. She's actually gone on to do some really cool projects. She was, I think, on an episode of Star Trek, The New Generation, an episode of Quantum Leap. She was on The Good Life. She was on Boy Meets World, which I love that show. It was a great show. She was also a reoccurring actress on the show Third Rock from the Sun. She played August. And she was also a part of La La Land, the television show. So she's gone on to do some work as an adult as well. The person who plays Joey in this film, I'm pretty sure he was a a local cast member. He sure as hell sounded like he was from Tennessee. (laughs) But it's played by Alec Clapper, and this is his only appearance in any film. So kudos to him. We have two brothers, not related, but they're brothers in the film. Richard Wolfe plays Matt Murdock, which is a heavier set kid with a kind of, I don't know, prototypical 1990s kid bully. (laughs) And his little brother, Nick Victory, played Mike Murdock. So they're the Murdock brothers, the prototypical bullies in this film. This is their only appearance, too, in film. And that's not to be mistaken. He's not playing Daredevil, by the way. It's not that Matt Murdock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This kid isn't blind. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not, not even fighting, close. Fighting criminals no. in Hell's Kitchen. His <laughs> character is just Matt Murdock. <laughs> yeah. Coincidentally enough. Two guys who've been in a Well, one guy has been in a lot of Also, there was a storyline where Matt had to, like, fake his death and come back as, like, his brother, I can't remember Mike? if it was his brother or cousin, but it was Mike. <laughs> That's fucking funny. God damn it. All right. One guy in particular I'm going to mention because he's been in a lot of Ernest projects as well. And this particular guy, his name is Bill Berg. It's not spelt Berg, but it's Berg. He plays Bobby Tulip. Like I said, he's been in Ernest Saves Christmas, Ernest Goes to Jail, Ernest Goes to School. Hey, Vern, it's Ernest, which was the television show. And he's also... And some of Ray Stevens, if you're familiar with him, some of his music videos. He's a really skinny guy, has like maybe one line in the film, shoots a lot of photos. (laughs) He's a part of a, like I said, a brother group that have been in a lot of Ernest films. Now, the guy who plays his brother in this film was John Cadenhead, who plays Tom Tulip. Now, he's not the original Tom Tulip. There's another actor who played Tom Tulip, but I can't remember if he had had another project going on at the time. But anyhow, John Cadenhead played him. Now, this is a really cool film. I don't know how often we'll get to mention it, but... He was in a Weird Al Yankovic movie called UHF. Yeah, dude. Yes, he was. He was also in Caged Fear, Steel's Law, and Walker, Texas Ranger. Fits. (laughs) That fits. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, considering, I can totally see that with him. If you watch Walker, you watch Ernest. Yeah. Here's another another Ernest who's been in a lot of Ernest Universe productions. Daniel Butler plays Sheriff Cliff Binder. I mentioned the 
movie Dr. Otto, he was in that. He was also in Ernest Goes to Camp, Ernest Saves Christmas, Ernest Goes to Jail. Now, here's something that was really cool about this guy. He co-wrote the book America's Dumbest Criminals back in, I think, the 80s. Okay. And when it got syndicated for television, he was the original host on that show. Oh, good on him. Yeah, so I was like, damn, I didn't know that. It's pretty cool. The mother in this film of Candy Binder is... Amanda Biner, played by Esther Houston. She's been in some of Ernest's films, once again, in Dr. Otto. She was also in The Heat of the Night in Love Potion Number no. 9, starring Sandra Bullock. Huh. All right. Uh, Denise Hicks, she plays Elizabeth's mom in this film. Once again, if you've seen an Ernest film, you've seen her in one of them. But she was also in the film Existo, Deadline, and my favorite film, Closer to God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really. mean, we should point out Jim Varney, another one of his last guest appearances. I saw the Bible Man movies. Fuck, those things <laughs> are horrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, their production puts this in like a whole different light. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I've <laughs> seen God. parts of Bible Man. I have yep. too on some uh, satirical stuff on YouTube. But uh, <laughs> all right, we mentioned Trantor. Now, the person who actually plays Trantor in this film is a guy named Jonas Muscartolo. Why do I mention him? Have you ever watched the television show Land of the Lost from the 90s? Oh, shit, yeah. He plays Upa okay. in that, so you might be familiar with him. I thought this is kind of funny. He's also in a film called Fight Night from 04, completely different Fight Night. But I was like, I wonder what he plays in that. <laughs> Hope he's a wrestler. <laughs> All right. I got two more other people. The teacher in this is Jackie Welch. She's, I think, in the beginning of the film and in a gym scene. She was in Dr. Otto, Ernest Saves Christmas, Ernest Goes to Jail, Existo, Pure Country 2, and The Committee. And the last person... Oh, I thought that was a different teacher for a second. No, no, no. I think her that person's Joey Adams or something okay. like that, yeah. Which, she plays Ernest teacher. I didn't Which re- is like my it. favorite part of it's this movie. It's funny, dude. That is my favorite joke in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, our last person, which I kind of, I'm glad I'm saving this person for last. He doesn't have a huge role. He plays Jimmy. You'll recognize him if you remember the grocery uh, store scenes. He's the person who kind of runs the place. It's played by Mark Delaberry. Now, he's done some really cool work. He's actually a person who's done some more recent work, believe it or not. He's done some work on the television show The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, The Blacklist, and Friends from College. Now, he was also on two huge late-night television series because he did a lot of sketch comedy on these, but he's done some work with The Late Show with David Letterman and The Late Show with Conan O'Brien. So he did a lot of uh, sketches for both of those gentlemen for a number of years, too, which is really cool. I think mostly in the mid-2000s. But yeah, that rounds out the cast. The people behind the film? Warnings. Um, Let's see. Warnings. (laughs) Trolls. Gross-looking trolls. Boogers. Lots of boogers. About a second and a half of, like, a melted troll that looks pretty good. Yeah. They're, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. And they say damn once. Yeah. So keep in mind this is a rated PG film. If you have children under if the age of five... it wasn't for how maybe? that troll looks, I would be surprised this was even PG. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you there. I think there are certain scenes that probably boosted it from a G to a PG. However, I mean, there was a lot of worry when this film came out that it was a bit too dark for yeah an earnest movie. So I mean, I can see that in retrospect, but man, you got a hard yeah, time selling me on that one. Uh, yeah, this is a tame movie, Certainly horror is. comedy, heavy uh, on the comedy. <laughs> comedy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's put it in quotes because looking back, like 
you, you kind of have to know what you're getting into yeah. for this one. I agree. I, I totally agree. Uh, I don't know how to describe it, but this is very much almost like sitcom level comedy, like early '90s sitcom yeah. level comedy. Darren Tatum in extended movie form. Yeah, I agree. Which, if you're okay with that, if you know that going into it, you're going to have a good time. If, if you, you go into it thinking this is yeah. going to be a comedic masterpiece, oh no, fuck no. You, uh, Big disappointment. You're in the wrong place, know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean, Tyler? <laughs> but no, like you said, you're right. You're right. If you're familiar with Ernest, then you'll be comfortable with this film. Fuck. Let's get into it. I'm ready. Uh, yeah, fucking. How'd that make you squeal? Ernest scared stupid. Number 59. Bam. How does that make you squeal? Alright, so how did Ernest Scared Stupid make me squeal? You know, I have a little story for you, Danny. Yeah, I'm ready for it, bro. So, I I didn't want to say anything then, knowing that I was going to go into the story now. You mentioned this movie came out when you were 10. Roughly, The movie came out when I was 4. I probably saw it very early on... I don't know when it would have been released on video, but I probably saw it not too long after it was released on video. I know that I didn't go to the theater for this one. Oh, I did not either. I would have remembered. (laughs) However, let me think. Between the ages of like four to seven, maybe. Yeah, four to seven. I probably saw this movie five times. Okay. That would make sense. When I went to put it on last night, it was the first time I ever finished this movie. No kidding. Wow. As a four-year-old oh child, as a four, five, yeah. six-year-old kid, this movie scared the shit out of me. I can understand that, especially for that age. I can totally understand that. I just think it's funny that you haven't watched it all the way through until last night. <laughs> That's awesome. I was never able to finish it any of those times. Wow. In fact, as I was watching it last night, I figured out very specifically... Out of those five times I watched it, four of the times, I'm pretty sure... Well, you tapped out. I tapped out the very first time the troll confronts Ernest. Oh, wow, really? Wow. That troll scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Yeah, and it doesn't really take that long before you're introduced to the troll in the film, too. The only other thing that I kind of remember seeing from further on down the movie that I'm rec- I reckon I only made it to one time was when the troll shows up in the bed right next to the chick. That's fucking terrifying as a kid. That would be... Especially, they're playing on the fear of what's underneath the bed. Oh, in this case, it's not what's underneath the bed. Nope. So last night, first time I ever finished this movie. That's why I was really excited to do this movie this week, because I'm like, I'll finally get to, like, face my fucking fear from my my childhood. How are you, Tyler? This is actually turning into a therapy session i didn't <laughs> so where did it all this start from tyler's well, that's now we about know. as far as i yeah <laughs> now i've watched it and i, I mean i like it what you think i wish i would have made it further because i would have yeah. probably seen how jokey they made it but yeah and i can understand that but for that time period like you said you're between what the ages of four and six seven years old yeah there's some really spooky scenes that would i would think even for me at that time like had i been the same age it would have spooked the shit out of me too there was something, though, I kind of realized it when I was watching it the second time through and and making notes and shit, is I think another reason I didn't finish was this movie didn't really seem like it was actually... It's a kid's movie. Yeah. It's not written for kids. I think it was written for... It's written for... for adults who are fans of Ernest. I think that and probably kids who are, like, in the middle school ages, like, getting into that kind of age group. It wasn't meant for little kids it's really weird like 
and some of it's probably just sloppy writing, but most of the jokes Ernest makes and most of the little things that in him attempting various monologues throughout the movie (laughs) start referencing are like commercials and shit that kids wouldn't catch the references to. No, that would have flown over a lot of heads. I thought it was kind of unique, perhaps, too. Like I said, maybe more so for the adults who were familiar with Ernest. Would have gotten those, for sure. And kids wouldn't even realize how far off he was off on, like, the, like... (laughs) The Ottoman history? Yeah, Botswana (laughs) holding off the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, that's not even close to true. But it was believable because the kids didn't know any fucking better. Right. And it wasn't really about the tale of Botswana, per se. It was more about, about how standing up to is. bullies and shit. Yeah, and the fact that Ernest is fucking completely a doofus. So, one of the first notes I made, because I realized I was kind of going to this movie new-ish. I'd seen some of it before, and had very... <laughs> I have very specific memories of this movie, being scared out of my mind. The first thing I did have to write down was Coke Sam's. I'm not sure if Coke Sam is a real person, Danny. The name? I think it might Pseudonym. be they're giving credit to Sam's Coke that <laughs> Sam brought to the goddamn set. I honestly <laughs> was thinking about that, too. It's like, who in the hell names her kid Coke? Now, I will say, being from the Southeast... Everything's Coke? Everything's Coca-Cola. <laughs> including Coke. Because <laughs> that was the, a part of the formula back in the day. So... Wouldn't surprise me if that were the case, but I thought it was funny too. I was like, man, what are the odds we're watching a film written by somebody named Coke? I think it was the writers were all doing Sam's Coke. I would agree with that. Totally agree with that. This film at times is hyper. There's just, I don't know, man, this movie. Once again, I liked it because I do like Ernest movies. Right. But if I didn't already like Ernest movies, I don't know how much uh, I would have liked this movie. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, I am glad I'm familiar with who Ernest was as a kid. Because looking at it now, especially if he would have came out like this day and age, he would not last very long I at all. I think I'd be bored with it. Well, yeah. Well, let's talk about that Ottoman thing real quick. Because I can't think of anything in specific that he says. Right. But did that whole thing seem just a little bit racist to you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was looking for it. I'm like... You know, there's nothing here that's actually bad, but something about this just seems a little bit off. Kind of like Ernest going through his MPD episodes, because he does play the multiple characters during that particular skit, or that segment of the film. I always remember some of that stuff, like him doing those multiple characters. So I didn't think much of it as a kid when I saw that, but now, yeah. I think it's a cool little shtick for his character to be able to do that throughout all these movies and stuff. I kind of dig that on like a metal level, like when I'm just looking at it. But nowadays, going through that, it just, something seems a little... Well, the first thing I think probably... And how okay everybody is with it. Yeah, how that's okay everybody at. is with him. They, and that's just, just like Ernest, hanging man. out with the kids. Yeah, and... that's just Ernest. He mm-hmm. likes the town or the village idiot. People don't think much of him in terms of his mental capacity. And they treat him like a child because he acts like a child. So it's okay if he hangs out with kids. Right. That's that, not that, cool. That, 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 that's the thing. I was like, oh, I don't know if you can have a character like that. Ernest now, might catch a charge now. Main character. <laughs> Ernest would definitely catch a charge. He would not be across the street playing in that playground. 
And that's the thing. I'm like, I get the reasoning. Like he's yeah. he's too simple to be a danger. But Man, can you imagine if they went super dark I don't know if you can him? try to pass off a character like that these days. We're like, oh no, he's cool because he's simple. Yeah, he's no, really he's, simple. He's just Ernie. No big deal. He'll just try to monologue at them, and their history grades are gonna suffer because he's teaching them all the wrong shit. But they're gonna occasionally save his life, so it's okay. Yeah, eventually he'll do something worthy of keeping him around. But here's the thing. I'm wondering. Is it the whole town that's dumb? Well, Tyler, I hate to admit this. <laughs> I know this film is supposed to be taking place in Missouri. It's actually shot in Nashville, Tennessee. This is no discredit to Nashville. It's a beautiful city. But when you go outside of the major cities in parts of the southeast, it gets a little watered down, if you know what I mean. So it wouldn't surprise me a little bit. Like, yeah, these are simple people, very simple people. I noticed something in the very beginning of the movie, and I thought it was just a really quick throw... And it's still kind of a quick throwaway joke that you have to notice in the background. But at first, it seemed to only apply to Ernest. And on the door of his garbage truck, it says, Ignoramus ad infinitum. Oh yeah, you know what that means. Ignorant. Ignorant onto infinity. Basically. Again and and beyond. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a repetitive cycle of stupidity. Yeah, of... Yeah. Ignorance. Of ignorance. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. They're kind of playing on Ernest. But I'm like, that's kind of weird that that would be on the city garbage truck. Considering. At the very end of the movie, you get a very, very quick shot of the sides of a couple cop cars. Yeah, you do. Most of the shots, you don't actually get to see much of the cars. There's a couple, though, where you can make out that, in fact, the seal of the city. <laughs> yeah. Is they embrace ad in infinitum. They're embracing their ignorance. Which, in a sense, too, can be, I don't know, there's the saying, you know, ignorance is bliss, so in some sense, I mean, who knows? Maybe they like it that way. It did seem to be a somewhat blissful community overall. Yeah, it would have been When your biggest problem is the fact that your garbage man's kind of an idiot. Yeah. Because that honestly seemed to be, like, the biggest problem. That was the biggest gripe, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that was basically it. And that a voodoo witch lives on the outskirts of their town. Yeah, they just, (laughs) we need to keep it tidy over there if you're going to hang out. Also, with the bringing up Eartha Kitt. Also, in hindsight, so Jim Varney's playing a character. I can't fault him at all because he's wonderful at that character. It's just whether or not the character is your taste. Exactly. I would totally concur with that. So he does a fantastic job at being earnest, which is why he had already done it for 11 years at this point. I mean, he was earnest at this point for all intents and purposes. That being said, the best acting job in this movie is Eartha Kitt, who does a fantastic job in this movie. She does. She is she amazing show, in this movie. She does. She totally stills the show. From the get-go, when she's getting up in his face with like all the crazy shit on, yeah, and she it. looks kind of like a fucking like steampunk. Glad you said that, because a lot of the artwork, it's not trash, it's artwork in her yard. I was thinking that, I was like, damn, that's totally steampunk. Yeah, she's like this steampunk voodoo witch, yeah, which is the coolest fucking thing in the world. She's like right out of a comic slash video game. Yeah, she honestly reminded me of like an animated character, not in a bad way, no, like no. in a good totally way a good throughout way. this entire movie. In the fact that this movie's Ernest is kind of a fucking living cartoon and things get kind of surreal around oh, him. Yeah. His multiple personalities definitely affect reality. <laughs> And they're it all does. doing it like on a women shit. I so. think it's it's funny, but yeah, it's unrealistic. So things get surreal around him. So in a movie that's basically a fucking cartoon, the fact that she was like a living cartoon fit perfectly. Yeah. I mean, she embodied her character. There are times throughout, too, where you 
I think a good example is you mentioned this on the Bone Tomahawk episode where the actors are doing such a great job. You forget who they are as people and you look or see them as that actual character. It's like, damn, because she kind of does that. You'll lose sight of who she is, you know, as a person, but Mm -hmm. she sells it as her character. Let me see. What else did I have to write down? So you're a little bit older than me. Maybe you remember. Was there a brand or something called Duckhead? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because they I, were... <laughs> this I, is funny. <laughs> oh, well, I can't believe we're talking about Duckhead. I had to ask because I don't remember Duckhead. I do. It was a big deal back in the late 80s, 90s. Yeah, it was a big deal. And when... I can't remember any of the kids' names... But when the girl is hanging outside with the boys for the first time after school, so it's like, you know, 15 minutes in the movie or something, she's wearing a duck head turtleneck. And I started laughing because I'm like, eh, she's like an uncircumcised dickhead. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Now, what I'm familiar with duck head is their pants. And their pants were khakis, khaki shorts, khaki pants, and polos. So they were kind of like your... I don't know, business class kind of attire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you wanted to look suburban and business casual, Duckhead back then would have been kind of the brand, you know? Okay. It wasn't like a a brand like Tommy Hilfiger or anything like that, but it was like a couple steps below that. You know what I mean? Okay. So it was popular. You know what I mean? That, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know we're going to say this shit a lot. But that's kind of what Duckhead is. I had a couple Duckhead stuff because it was fashionable to have Duckhead back then. Not so much now as, you know, there's other brands. <laughs> I don't know if you have anything else around that part of the movie that you want to talk oh, about. There are my notes things. jump around it's a little okay. bit. My notes jump around a little bit because my next note is all the way when the, the fucking bullies are attacking the tree fort. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good too. We can talk about that scene if you want to go there. I want to talk about that too. So as I was just watching this movie, like I know that it's the type of comedy that's not going to make sense all the time by the fact that <laughs> The fucking garbage truck scene happened where Ernest gets in the compactor. To death yeah, in the compactor for all intents and purposes, but he doesn't. You know what I mean? Right. And even he's when a he, living cartoons, when so. he does get saved, right? He's already compacted with the trash. If you pay close enough attention, you can actually see a stagehand pushing him out of the back of the compactor. But the way he's in it, he would have landed on his head. Oh yeah, he yeah. Even if he was alive there, he would have died coming out of it because <laughs> I think of the way that. he landed. I was like, holy shit, that he would have died in real life, and those kids would have been a witness and partly responsible for that. <laughs> the, yeah, that would have been no good for anybody. That he would have, been have already been in a bad way because of where his feet are in relation to his head. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, leading up into that, you're right. Like this kid's helping him out. Then they're like they pants to the girl screaming. That opens that scene with the haunted house. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like. So I get it. This movie's not necessarily going to be realistic, no. but kind of broke me a little bit. There's no, <laughs> there's no kid who, even to fend off bullies, is going to bake pizzas just to launch at them. Oh my god! When gosh. you could eat those goddamn pizzas. That's funny, dude. So you can load rocks into that goddamn sling a lot quicker okay. without having to bake it. However. There is something interesting about those pizzas. Yes, there is. I want to, right before we get to that. There think is... about it. Are you, are you going to make a fucking pizza just oh. to... <laughs> no, fuck no. That's a waste of pizza. The funny thing I want to mention is I was saying that, you know, you see that little haunted house and it's basically a cardboard shanty house <laughs> that these kids are making. The bullies attack, knock it down. I think Kenny, you know, they're running off. He said, you're going to pay for this later. They build the treehouse with Ernest. 
then those kids attack, and you're right, they're launching the pizzas. Cue to the pizzas. What are those pizzas? Those pizzas are actually from the set Teenage of Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles 2, Turtle. Secret of the Ooze. Yeah, it is. Secret of the Ooze. Which I love that movie. I can almost Dude, quote that movie. I have actually saw the first two in theater, so yeah. Guilty. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were fucking huge back in the day, dude. They still are right now to a new generation, but those OGs? That's another one of those movies that's actually really terrible when you look at it too close. So just don't don't look at it close. (laughs) Just remember it as a kid for some people. Just like sometimes watching these films as an adult will fucking ruin it for your child. (laughs) So it's nice to remember them, though. I mean, it's nostalgic. But anyhow, you're right. Those were prop pizzas. Those were prop pizzas from fucking Secret of the Ooze, which That's is awesome. amazing. That I mean, I love when things like reuse stuff and yeah. then you know it. What I like too is those kids' reactions when they're actually getting hit by it. It's like they weren't like totally devastated by it. They're like, ooh, it's kind of cool. <laughs> I get hit by pizza. But I say load more of the cans of fucking dog food. Oh yeah, leave the pizzas for victory. It's <sighs> a reward. That's you would your think reward. piss and Don't poop, fucking dog send food. your pizzas at the goddamn bullies. No. But you're right. For all intents and purposes, they had extra props. Let's use them. Now, <laughs> the gun turret he was on was pretty badass. What's that? The gun turret he was on, though, was oh, pretty yeah. badass. Yeah, yeah. Their defense system for the, the tree fort. fort. <laughs> yeah. Once again, one of those very unrealistic things, <sighs> but I-, I feel like you'd see a lot of this kind of weird contraption defense device in a lot of early 90s kids movies oh yeah there'd always be somehow they'd make something bunkers that's basically a fucking piece of military equipment (laughs) i wonder if this is a propaganda film now looking at it as an adult (laughs) not really but but you're right there was a lot of use of that like so the building tree houses building forts building bunkers what's going on kids in the 90s (laughs) i was a part of that and then almost my favorite thing to cap it off is the kids all celebrate because there was no collateral damage. Or part because, oh yeah, we drove them off. Oh yeah, no collateral damage. Joke, of course, being no casualties on their side. Yeah. But it just made me think of, is there a scenario where there could have been collateral Mm. damage? I'm wondering that too. Like, if they were in the neighborhood. Civilian deaths from the pizza flinging. Mom and dad came out, got popped in the eye. No, who knows? (laughs) That'd be funny. Yeah. All right. Talking about the parents. I want to talk about them a little bit in this film. Oh, boy. I want to talk about the parents. Like I said, oh, boy. <laughs> Some of them, you could tell, were extras. Liz's mom was horrible. <laughs> she was basically a bitch. I had it written down. She comes into her room during that one sequence you talked about the troll where she's looking. Or she's scared that there's something underneath her bed because of events that have unfurled with one of her friends, Joey. First victim. So her mom comes in, she kind of scolds her for not being dressed and getting ready for the party. She wants her mom to look underneath the bed. Mom's like, you need to grow up, you need to put your fucking costume on, and you need to go to that ball. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, damn, mom, that's some fucked up shit. So the girl does look underneath the bed, she finds Snuffies, and it's okay until she turns around, gets abducted. And then that plays an important part later on as far as the voicing uh, from the troll Oh, yeah, that's true. It's after she gets got that the troll starts using her voice. Yeah. Starts seducing. Which was kind of neat. There was some... So I do see... Because the overall idea behind this movie is kind of dark. That the troll's targeting kids and fucking... Turning them into dolls and stealing their souls and shit. Yeah, basically, yeah. 
turning them into wooden dolls and using their souls as kind of batteries to fuel its children. Yeah, that is a scary scenario. And speaking of the trolls, I know we were kind of pussyfooting around the troll. Trantor, the costume design, awesome, right? Now, this is an interesting story is that John Cherry, the director, he actually designed every single one of the trolls, but... The Chiodo brothers were the ones who helped construct it and kind of finalize his ideas. So it's like, man, they looked really good, those uh, trolls, all of them. See, that's the thing. I didn't actually look up that it was the Chiodos that were on this until, like, right before we did, like, we started recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't know that until after I'd watched it twice to record this. However, during my second time through, right about the scene where all the trolls start popping out, one of my first thoughts was... Man, this is kind of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm like, this whole movie's a little bit Killer Clowns. All right, paying attention to the film a little bit, there is a line, whether they wrote that in there intentionally or not, but with the Tulip Brothers, where they're taking the photos because they're wanting to shop it around, make some money off of it. Where they're like, killer trolls from under an oak tree. And, Holy shit. Yeah, and then he was something like, uh, alien invasion? Fucking great. He does it like that, so... Either just trying to make a buck, but it's funny that you mentioned that, being that the killer clowns are from outer space. Yeah, no, uh, the whole thing... It's a thing, pod movie, it's a sci-fi reference. The whole thing, I was kind of like, this is kind of oh, yeah. killer clownsy. And when you see the trolls, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Even their death sequence, the spirals. Oh, yeah. yeah. However, so Ernest <laughs> is fated to... Oh, that's one of the other things I did take note of was when I was five years old and watching this, I didn't realize that Jim Varney was playing his ancestor, Phineas Moore. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I thought he they were job. completely different people. I can understand that. I can see I that. I was five. As a kid, yeah. As, as a kid, yeah. <clears throat> but credits to Ernest once again, or Jim Varney, he sells his characters. Now, he's fated to unleash the trolls. Each one of his generation, well, every one of Phineas's generations beyond him is going to get dumber and dumber, leading down to <laughs> Ernest. Oh, yeah. Uh, which makes me curious, by the way. There have been rumors in the past decade of a reboot huh. that would be Son of Ernest. I wonder who they would get to play that. Jamie who Kennedy. would be even dumber theoretically, because he's yeah. cursed that every generation is dumber. So it leads to Ernest, who is one dumb enough to accidentally unleash the troll. So he does. However, in the way it happens, I had to write down, like, I probably would have ended up unleashing the troll, too. <laughs> yeah. Considering, you know. If I run into this old crazy voodoo witch lady... You're mocking what she's saying. Yeah. And she tells me, first off, the trolls are real. Yeah. And that I'm cursed... Yeah, exactly. And then if I say these words on this night, under this tree, that bullshit's going to happen, I would be like, that's the first thing I would go do. Like, bullshit, I'm going to call your bluff. Yeah, let's go for it. Who hasn't as a kid, especially, right? Oh my god, dude, the amount of times I sold my soul after watching that fucking episode of The Simpsons. Yeah, dude. I was like, no, this this, I'm pretty sure this is bullshit. I'm going to try this. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do the Bloody Marys just to find out, you know? Oh, my God. I mean, everybody who bought it after the first one got ripped off, but they didn't fucking know. It was just a piece of paper that said my fucking, you know, my name on it. This is Tyler's soul. Well, good news for us is the devil didn't go down to Montana, (laughs) down to Georgia. (laughs) Yeah, because he could have had it for, like, a fucking Kit Kat bar. (laughs) There you go. It wouldn't have been like, no, man, you got to put that fiddle up and beat me in a contest. It would have been... 
Oh, no, yeah, fucking Kit Kat? Yeah, yeah, here's my soul. Here, bro. <laughs> there you go. Can I get, like, a chicken wing, too? Cool. Nice. I'm down. Mountain Dew? Sweet. Yeah, I was a little fat kid, so. Right. <laughs> Speaking of, like, products, the use of milk in this film. After knowing it was milk, going through this movie, they do layered in really well throughout the entire thing. Wow. There's a lot of, like, dairy things popping up whenever the troll suddenly gets turned away, and I did not put it together the first time. I realized it wasn't supposed to be Miak. <laughs> I realized yeah. it was supposed to be milk right off the bat when they get to that part of the movie. Miak. But yeah. I didn't put it together that there's like three or four times before that part oh, of the yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. They keep alluding to it. That the troll gets turned away and milk is always involved. Dairy. What was the first time when he like knocks over that little cooler on the treehouse and spooks him off? Mm-hmm. I think that's the first time Ernest saw the troll. Yeah. So that's, that's when that's he tapped where out. I was out. Yeah. Damn. That didn't take long to get to no, that scene was, either. Nope. Fuck this. I'm done. <laughs> I can watch it in this scene that I've done. Man, that's kind of funny thinking about that in a way. Because, you know, being, like I said, my 10 years old seeing that at the time, it just didn't affect me that See, way. And by the time I was 10, I wasn't even looking to rewatch that movie. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I think at that time, no discredit to this film, but I was more interested in, like, when Army of Darkness and shit like that was going mm-hmm. on. <laughs> you know, that was my go-tos. Well, See, I was more interested in, like, Free Willy. <laughs> <laughs> We mentioned no, that that's before. probably a few years later. That's I'm more funny. interested in fucking uh, like Fern Gully at this point yeah. or something like that. You know that makes I mean? sense. All right, so we're talking about milk, right? I thought that was kind of interesting knowing the fact that Jim Varney and John Cherry, they shot milk commercials all over the country. <laughs> Go figure. Mm-hmm. And then just the use of it, too. I was like, Man, that is kind of silly that that's all it takes to defeat a troll is a good squirt in the face of milk. <laughs> Some of them cow juice. <laughs> I don't get it. I saw something pointing out online where if the reference to milk is because it's the mother's cure, shouldn't it be have to be human milk? Shouldn't we be getting fucking visitor Q up in this bitch? I know. <laughs> Chating all over Can us. Ernest visits visitor Q. Q. <laughs> or, well, wouldn't it be visitor Q just randomly comes to stay with Ernest to get his life in check? I would think and so. And would randomly beat him and somebody would end up lactating all over him? Yeah, in this film, especially with trolls. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought it was kind of funny. Like I said, their use of milk, how it's incorporated in defeating the trolls. There comes a point where this movie even gets a little Dragon Ball Z-ish. And what I mean by that is a troll takes on its final form. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it takes Which on its mostly, final form, <laughs> the tree most, trunk. <laughs> mostly involves just a lot more squigglies coming out from yeah. its face. Uh, and it gets and extra horny. And nails get, yeah, a little bit hornier. <laughs> I don't know, man. I thought it was funny, too. I thought it was kind of cute, and I don't use that word often on the show. <laughs> but how Ernest defeats Trantor, I always get a chuckle out of that, man, because it's silly, but it's still kind of funny, in, you know, in a sense. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, this movie has gone off the fucking rails. <laughs> that was another one of those moments, though, where I'm like, ooh, they're kind of commenting on the fact that he's really that simple, that he can just... Unconditional mm. love. Yeah, turn it on a dime, even after the troll. Well, there's even that mounting moment of, like, the townspeople, like, kill him, kill him. So they were kind of, I don't know if they were alluding to a little bit of, like, the Frankenstein kind of thing. Mm. You know what I mean? The I town people, kill him. Because that's typically what you do with a monster, but not in this case. <laughs> uh, so I was, 
Did you list off a, a budget on this? Did we find a budget? I never did find a budget. I would imagine for it's, this film, it's a mo- it's I mean, moderate. it's a modest budget, right? Yeah. We we know it's a modest budget. It's an earnest film. You can sort of base it probably on some of his former films too. Yeah. I think Ernest Goes to Camp was shot for like three million or something like yeah, that. Maybe see, I would guess like four on this. Yeah, at best, at best, <laughs> at best. Yeah. But I'm, still, so I'm sort of surprised at the amount of trolls that they bring in in the last 10 minutes of the movie. Dude. These fully crazy, awesome Chiodos Brothers made so good. costumes that are really, really good looking. And there's a ton of them she that are used for 10 minutes. Yeah. It would have been neat to see them play throughout the rest of the film. But you're right. We only get 10 minutes of it. Attacking good the use town of it. and shit. Yeah. Like, Oh, God, how cool would that have been? Would um, that have been just a little bit too Killer, killer? I was just thinking that. It's like, ugh, Ernest and Killer Clowns and Visitor Q. <laughs> I mean, this movie is basically wow. just toned down Killer Clowns. I would agree with that. It's a another kind of invasion story, a pod story. Even the use of, which, you know, I'll mention a lot of these films here, but even the opening credits alludes to a lot of, like, both horror and sci-fi Oh, that's right. So the opening credits have a neat little montage. I really dig the opening credits uh, in this. It's fucking awesome. So there's a montage of just Ernest and his fucking rubber mask of a face, Jim Varney, <laughs> yeah. and him just having, emoting. I mean, this was just. I mean, he was like Jim Carrey before Jim Carrey, almost. Yeah, yeah. As, as far, far as, as like a face, bo- yeah, facial shit actor. goes, just doing his thing in front of a black screen. With a montage of horror movies playing through. Gotta have a montage. And so, as a list of the movies that they show, it's a bunch of flicks from between, like, 1922 to, like... 1960. 1960. And we have Nosferatu, White Zombie, Metal. Metal. Metal, metal. (laughs) Phantom from Space. One of my favorites. I don't know. The Brain from Planet Eros. Nice. The Screaming Skull, mm. Missile to the Moon, motherfucker. This all just makes me think that we have to hit some of these crazy. I was kind of thinking movies. that too, yeah. dude. The Brain from Planet Eros would probably be fucking dope, yeah. just because it looked the brain nuts. There are some bonker scenes in this. I like it. What did we say? Missile to the Moon, right? The hideous sun demon, hideous sun demon, the giant Gila monster, fucking a, killer the killer shrews. shrews, battle beyond the sun. Little and Little Shop, shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors. Love, love that. But it's the OG mm-hmm. Little Shop. So, yeah, I mean, that, that was a really cool opening sequence. That kind of sets the tone, but then there's kind of a drop-off. <laughs> there's kind of a drop-off right after the credits. But it's still earnest. It's good. I like the opening sequence. Really cool. I was watching a behind-the-scenes kind of making of, a little bit of, and I didn't realize this, but... If you pause it during the opening credits where it says casting by, there's a quick flash, and it's not Jim Varney, somebody else. I don't know who the fuck it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of interesting because I didn't notice it until I heard that review, and they pointed it out, and I looked, and I was like, holy shit, there it is. (laughs) So yeah, for those who are interested, there's some really interesting goofs and stuff like that in this film, but it just shows it was a fun film probably to make. They were just having a good time. (laughs) So there was a little continuity error I noticed that bugged me both times I watched okay. it. And this isn't one of those things like it can be explained by his multiple personalities and all the surrealist shit that happens there. It was just fucking dumb continuity error that I just have to fucking point out. Cause I want... we can give it In the gym, asshole. when Ernest gets knocked around by the troll and he ends up with like 
the fucking table thing falling on him with the little cutout so that he's not, you know, squished. And then the fucking the like ice cream machine yeah. comes down on his face, which, by the way, that was big enough. That probably should have killed him, but whatever. Once again. The way that he's under and the table thing flips makes it so there's no possible way that Trantor the troll could have then come and hovered above him from the way he walked up on him. He would have had to walk at him from the opposite side. And even then, he would have ran into the ice cream machine first. God damn it. (laughs) Yeah. But that half of his body would have still been underneath the overhang. Maybe he has some powers in there showing us. And Trantor couldn't have walked up on him like that. I agree. That's a good point. Fucking bugged me both times. I'm being nitpicky just so I can nitpick at something. I'm really surprised at how much I fucking love this movie for how bad it is. Oh, I was going to say, we can nitpick this film all day long, but that's not the point. Is this film, like I said, knowing that it's an earnest film, you have to take that into consideration that you can't take this film too fucking serious. Speaking well, of which... And the amount of times we have now pointed out that it's basically just killer clowns from outer space makes me like this movie even It more. makes more sense when you look at it from that view because the Chioda brothers are a part of this project. Now, I was talking about don't take this film too serious because there were two critics who kind of did. So oh, these critics... is this the only one that was reviewed by Siskel and Ebert? You no, know it was. Reason being because Ebert had never seen an earnest film because he's too pretentious. <laughs> so anyhow... They reviewed it. Guess what they gave it, Tyler? Two thumbs down. Two thumbs down. You know what I say to that? Fuck your faces. <laughs> Fuck both your faces. No, actually, I wouldn't expect anything different from them. No. But... Uh, Considering what... Well, there was another film we did. Maybe it was... They weren't too kind to it either. But that's beside the point. It's just like, it's earnest, man. What do you expect, dude? How about Rimshot? I want to talk about Rimshot the dog. There was something about... I like the dog. There was something involving Rimshot that actually I was just about to bring up. That it was the only thing that didn't make sense to me. Okay, take that back. I've already pointed out shit, but... Him driving? <laughs> Is that it? No. I At the talk about very, very end, okay? All right. Rimshot comes back. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For me? What, what's the line? Is He's there... like... I, yeah, because I was doing that to you when I was walking. <laughs> He's like... And he's kind of sniffling. There's nothing in that tray for me. Right, he's all sad and shit. And then Rimshot comes out. And he's all excited. And Ursa Kit gives him this look like she doesn't understand. She's like, look, all these other people got their kids back. Like, you're this excited that you got your dog back? And I was just like, I'm pretty sure that everyone that's ever had a pet in their entire lives completely understands how excited he is right now oh yeah well here's something funny about this because this has been pointed out too is that she was kind of it's ironic that she played the cat woman because in return she plays a very cat like woman <laughs> she's like the cat lady that's true she was the most cat-like cat like of the cat women yeah. anyway oh yeah she did man go and watch the old batman 66 dude it's so good Although, she's probably the one that I found least attractive. And I mean, when you're talking Catwoman, that's one of the things. You're kind of like, oh, ooh, Catwoman. She it's not supposed to be like, oh, hey, 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 Catwoman. Hey, Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there is a scene. I was talking to my sister about this. I have to point this out, Tyler. have to point this out. I would feel remiss if I didn't. On the way to the costume contest at the gym, Ernest and Hackmore are in the truck, right? They're pulling up. Right. Ernest gets off. He goes running, you know, down the hallways. But Eartha Kitt stays behind, and she's kind of mumbling about some shit. Like, But then she notices a mother and a daughter have an exchange of words. And uh, Yeah. All right. So this is what I want to talk about. 
So she's got The Shining, right? Is that where you're going? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. What I wanted to go with this was Wait, like... I haven't upgraded that one yet that only goes when you're hitting it. <laughs> I'm trying. All right, so this is the conversation. This is what I wanted to point out, how fucking unrealistic this conversation is. So the little girl is upset that she is dressed like whatever the hell she's dressed as, like some kind of bear or some shit, right? Which is funny you mentioned The Shining. I didn't think about that. <laughs> All right, so anyhow, she's like... She tells her mom, I'm not going to work, right? I'm not going to work. Because, man, she's from Tennessee. So she's walking off, and she's like, I hate you. And her mom's like, I'm not very fond of you, me, bitch. And then the girl turns around. I was like, oh, shit. She's about to say something, like, really fucked up. <laughs> but she doesn't. I was like, what? You know what she says to her mama? I love you, mama. This little fucking bitch. <laughs> she's like, I'm sorry, mama. I love you. And she's like, I love you, too. And then they have this hug. And that's when it dawns on Eartha Kitt that it's unconditional love of a child. Hold not on an now. actual child's heart. What the fuck, dude? No, not only that, but that was not unconditional love. She just told her mom she flat out hated her guts. And I'm not going to work. She's like, you fucking picked it out. Anyhow, I was just like, man, they're not. That does not fly with me. It's like, there's no way that conversation happened in less than 30 seconds. And they made up that quick. It's like, ah, uh, mm-mm. They were uber-Christian if that were the case. <laughs> I would even go Mormon with it. <laughs> well, then I'd believe it just because of how polite. I, that's a, uh, mm-mm. I've never seen that, ever. Oh, yeah. Now I'll agree film. with that. I ain't never seen that. <laughs> that was ain't you, don't, you don't get to turn it around just by doing that. Like, no, you were, oh my gosh, you were just dude. being a little bitch. You're going to your room. <laughs> and that's why I say even, like... Elizabeth's mom, she was being, I hate to use the word, because I'm not going to use it, but she was being a bitch. <laughs> like, all the parents were like, just, they wouldn't listen to the kid, the sheriff was a dick, the mayor was a dick, <laughs> they're all dicks, except for Ernest, who was the most childlike of all the adults. He was the Michael Jackson up in this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to have a good time. And even the building of the fort, I thought it was cool, but... Who lets their kids hang out with Ernest in the woods building tree houses? Building the tree house. <laughs> That's kind of sketchy. <laughs> they do. That's who. So there's something that I've still been dancing around a little bit. Okay. I think we need to address <laughs> the fact that Eartha Kitt's character is probably at least 200 years old. <laughs> I was just thinking that too. So this is what kind of threw me off the first time watching it through, like without writing my notes for it. Where she starts to put the dolls in her little satchel. And she's like, you know, we're going to break the spell. I wasn't really paying much attention to her dialogue. I was like, hold on. Is she in cahoots with these trolls? <laughs> I was like, she's going to feed it more fucking dolls? She's been waiting? But no, that's not what she does. But you're right. Because when the kids are freed of their bondage in their wooden doll state, the ones that she did put in that tree came back from the old time period that we saw at the beginning of the film. And they like- called her sister. It was like her sister and friends or something like yeah, that. Yeah, she, she called one of the kids Michael, and, they, mm-hmm. and then the other two white kids, um, I'm not going to speculate. <laughs> I don't want to speculate, but... They, they were the legitimate children. <laughs> they definitely, yeah, they definitely weren't family members, That's what I'm going to say about that, especially for that time period. It's like... How'd you get to be so old? Well, there's a lot to tell you. Yeah, like how you apparently turned into a voodoo priestess and have discovered the secrets to eternal life. Yeah. Because judging by the outfits, this is probably at least 200 years later. It's kind of alluded to that, too. Like, there's been... 
quite amount of time. She even alludes to the fact that Ernest is like the seventh generation, the seventh son. She was kind of just dipping into a lot of. I mean, I know it's a lot of generic too, things so, but... for like the chosen one. Yeah, and there's a lot of things with like the seventh son of a seventh son in a lot of like fantasy is yeah, usually like that makes sense. somehow a chosen one or destined to become a wizard or things like that. So she was playing off of that, but then again, that's. She's playing off that voodoo trip, too, bro. Right. And she mentions, so not only that, but in Ernest universe, Mm -hmm. vampires and werewolves also exist because she mentions them and would have no problem in dealing with them. She's like, "Ah, fuck that. Trolls exist. Trolls. Fuck me, bros. And gals. But yeah, she doesn't like fucking with trolls. So Ernest's universe. He's got vampires. He got werewolves. Are all towns as dumb as his? Is that how they're able to thrive? Because they just, like, pick off entire towns every now and then? I could see that. Like, hidden in that part of the country. Like, yeah, that's all that could happen. <laughs> There's a lot of mountain ranges in there. You kind of dip in and out of these little small towns. Yeah. I don't really have anything else. <laughs> no, I think maybe the only other thing I want to point out, if, if anything, like I said, it's just... His multiple personalities are kind of funny. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit. I thought that was kind of neat. Like I said, they're still incorporating some of that stuff. It's gimmicky now. wouldn't work. It's just going back to the fact that <laughs> we chose this film to lighten it up. And then watching it, I was like, oh, man, we totally went so light. <laughs> we went so light. I mentioned this to you. We went Dude, so I light. Had a, I had a hard time not zoning out during parts of this movie. I will say that. Yeah, especially for my second viewing. No, I had to take notes for it. But it wasn't a big deal. I still enjoyed it. But it was so light. My nephews went and watched that shit last night. <laughs> I tried. They're like, nah, it's, dude, uncle, we got video games. They're like, one of my nephews was just, he, his head didn't even flinch from this video game. But the other one, he was kind of like, I'll watch it for a few minutes, but I got to get back to my game. That's on the other input channel. Yeah, this, I got a, I got something going on over here. I'm yeah, you're going to have to go back downstairs and do adult shit. So <laughs> that's what I did. So anyway, I enjoyed it, man. It was light. It was a good way to revisit Ernest. It was a good way to revisit my childhood, too. You know, growing up, watching Ernest go to camp, I couldn't tell you how many times. Still love the film. I tried to watch it yesterday, but I had too much shit going on. I guess there was one other little piece of trivia from this movie to bring up. Yeah, I mean, there's some cool trivia. In this internet day and age. (laughs) Yeah. The troll face meme. Yeah. Yeah, we did talk about it. Apparently, it probably came from this movie. It's alluded... To that point in the film where Ernest and Trantor are having this little battle on the truck. And he says something to the effect of like... How about a bumper sandwich, booger lips? Booger lips. And they run over him. That's what I want to talk about too is like how the fuck was uh, Rimjob? (laughs) Rimjob? Yeah, I've been wanting to say that the whole episode. But how was he driving the truck and how did he throw it in reverse when, you know, you damn... He's got to work the gas too. (laughs) You know, so I just thought it was goofy, but you're right. That's where they say they kind of originated. where it kind of came from. So if you've ever seen the troll face, after Ernest says that and slams into the troll, he then laughs. And the face, I mean, I see it. I can see it. I can imagine that face in my head right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If that's not what troll face is based on, I don't know what it is. Prove us wrong. (laughs) Here's what I wanted to mention, too. One last little interesting bit of trivia. We had mentioned, or you had mentioned it too, Hocus Pocus. There's a lot of parallels between Hocus Pocus and this film. And I think Ernest doesn't get enough credit for these originating parallels. So with Hocus Pocus, both those stories, they open up... Historical setting. Historical setting, told by either a teacher and or a student, that apparently there's a curse. A classroom. 
yeah, there's some kind of curse on the town or some kind, you know. Then the male protagonist, it looks like specifically in both these films, Kenny and Max and Hocus Pocus, they have to confront bullies at their schools, respectively. And then later on, they have to confront paranormal foes. And Mm -hmm. the case of this film, Trolls, and the case of Hocus Pocus, which is... And is Disney a part of the Hocus Pocus? Yeah, Because yeah. if it is, it wouldn't make mm-hmm. sense. Like, I feel like maybe this was feelers for that film, maybe. Like, they were throwing in, like, little themes throughout this film. Yeah. Little this, feelers. Does this work? Because here's an, another little interesting thing, too. Is apparently on the poster of this film, it looks like it's set in a graveyard. I don't know if no it's the one that you're... movie, yeah. But there's, like, tombstones, maybe. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of rumbling, a little bit of rumors saying that perhaps Ernest was supposed to be like a caretaker of a cemetery. And, and the, the trolls, trolls were, were using the dead children. Yeah, instead. Which, but none you know, of that Maybe happens. one of the drafts of the script was that. That's what I was not. getting, yeah. But you think about that too. Maybe they're just playing on the fact that Pocus, Pocus does out. use the graveyard. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Maybe they're throwing little feelers out to see how they can incorporate that. In earnest, and later on in Hocus Pocus, there's too many parallels. I could also see them just giving it to like a really, I don't know, something about the promotion department or whatever, just being kind of lazy with it, and being like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, it's coming out in you know two weeks before Halloween. That's Let's just it throw it in a graveyard." Ernest, <laughs> mm, damn Sam, that's some good coke. Damn, <laughs> scared stupid. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Who knows? It would have been funny to see kind of like the meeting rooms. Here's the idea. Here's the pitch. <laughs> But, no, I just wanted to point those out. That was kind of neat because we have brought up Hocus Pocus a few times. I know why it's more successful for obvious reasons. But once again, like I said, I love Ernest. I would argue with you that, you know, most of his films are pretty damn decent if you understand what you're getting yourself into. I don't know how many times I'm ever going to watch Scared Stupid again, but I'll probably watch Ernest Goes to Jail again. Yeah, that one's good. At least another couple times in my This one at the top of box, I'll definitely watch that one again. I don't know how many times, but <laughs> it's going to happen. But this one, once again, I would recommend if you have younger family members, if you have family members who are more prone to watching more family-oriented films, this is a good one. This is a decent one, especially for holidays. If you yeah. don't like scary films, this is a good one to pop on. It's still, you know, scary enough, but it's not going to make you shit your pants by any stretch. And you got your great redneck hope throughout it all. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I had that written down, man. I thought it was so funny. He embraced it, too. He's like, well, yes. Oh, my God. Redneck. <laughs> yeah, it's like, damn it. That's what I kind of like, too, is like... It reminds me a little bit of the Southeast growing up there, and it starts to make more sense. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of these characters I kind of know. Oh, yeah, this reminds me of my hometown, I'll tell you what. It's like, yeah, you know I mean? but there's nothing wrong with it. It just has that hometown appeal. Like, you can relate to a lot of these people, and maybe not necessarily the circumstances, but definitely the people. Yeah, I don't know the last time I'd worry about a troll invasion, but nah, hasn't been for a while. So we're going to go. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, uh, yeah, Ernest. Yeah. Watch it or don't, whatever. We won't blame you if you don't. No, we just wanted to, you know, lighten things up because we have been hitting some harder ones lately. Next one isn't... uh, It's not really hard hitter, but it has its moments. Yeah, I was going to say, it's... The light parts are pretty light and the dark parts are kind of dark at times. Yeah, they can be. We're going to go way meta. Yeah, we are. And we're going to go with Cabin in the Woods. In the Woods. Dude, I... This movie is... Fucking ball! It's awesome, dude. I'm. I'm I've been really looking meaning to, to rewatch this movie a lot more than I have lately. Yeah, I've been kind of reserving it, but I do have the Blu-ray copy. I'm ready to watch that version of it. Ooh, you have yeah, the Blu-ray? Dude. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So I'm excited to do that next week. 
as always, in order to get to listening to us next week, like if this is your first time or something, thank you. If you're listening to us, we would really appreciate it if you subscribed. If you're listening to this on a you know a way that you normally don't, you can go to our website www.friedsworms.com and follow the links to pretty much the more the popular players ones, yeah. for podcasts. Or you can always just search on whatever you're using, and we should come up. So Yeah, we're around. We hang out. As far as our website, that also links to all of our other shit, like our sure Facebook, does. Fried Squirms, Instagram, Fried Squirms Podcast, Twitter, at Fried Squirms. Yeah, we still tweet a little bit. And you can always just stream the episode at the very bottom of the page as well. Yeah, I agree. And if you're on our website, don't be afraid to leave us a comment and our hate mail, Mark Wand. And you can also email us at squirmcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, all of you. Yeah, we enjoy broadcasting, and we enjoy your feedback. We just enjoy, in general. Yeah, I'm having a great time. I did mention I'm getting kind of trigger-happy with getting some of these films, man. I know, I know. Well, there's one other thing. When I mentioned the Instagram, it made me think about it. We did mention before how we were part of this new YouTube series. (laughs) Just a friendly reminder... Jafar, J-A-F-R. Oh my gosh. The second episode is now out, and we would very much appreciate it if you went and listened to it. I feel like um, we're part it of is career. truly for like the grocery stockers of the world. Keep that in mind. And like I said, much like Ernest, you have to keep in mind that this isn't for every audience. <laughs> and just a friendly reminder, starring us. Yours truly. And involving people you've heard on our podcast before. Yeah, and even outside who helped on this one, like our music. Justin, who yeah, everybody that's almost everybody that's somehow been involved with this podcast. Not everybody, not everybody, but for the most almost part, almost everybody that's been involved with this podcast so far is also part of Jafar. Yeah, which is awesome, man. So please go check it out. It's a little comedy <laughs> it's a little thing. It's a little Tim and Eric ish. Oh, Adult Swim. I was gonna say training video ish. <laughs> training video ish. Yeah, if you like watching training oh, videos. My gosh. If you've ever seen a public access show training video. <laughs> if you like watching training videos, yeah. go check out Just a Friendly Reminder. Oh we would very gosh. much appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks for those who have viewed it and given us feedback. I'm done. I'm, like I said, looking forward to the next run of movies we've got lined up. Oh, shit, me too. Fucking Cabin in the Woods. And then we got some already picked out. Yeah. I think, right? Fuck, I think we do. We're getting to it. Check it out. But for now, Fried Squirms, out. Out.